This is a topic that's a little more difficult to go to a specific passage and have it all laid out for you. So we need to move a little bit today from one passage to another to kind of see the picture. Uh, I think you could make a strong case for the uh, theology of of the stewardship of the the body and the mind out out of Scripture. How does God want us to live with our bodies, with our minds? Uh, How did he intend for us to look after ourselves and take care of these earthly vessels? And the one word that keeps coming to mind when I think about the care of the body and the care of the mind and the soul is the word self-control or self-management or self-care or even the word rhythm, rhythm. Where do you learn that? Where do you learn the rhythm for life? And it's the battle of my life. Maybe it's the battle of your life too. To live in God's rhythm. To self-manage life in such a way that we live in the stream of God's movement and blessing in our lives. It's a challenge. And I know what I want to do. I know what I want to be. But I don't always get to where I want to be and do. I was raised on the farm. I watched my dad eat, for example. He filled up his plate a couple of times. He, w- he worked hard. He was a farmer. So I filled up my plate too, a couple of times. And uh, now when you get to this age, there's a problem with that, filling it up a couple of times. And exercise. We never talked about it on the farm. After all, we were on the farm. My dad smiled at having to get exercise. Well, he said, you could unload those bales. You can go in and clean the barn. You can shovel the grain. And, uh, but I didn't stay on the farm. And I forgot the words self-management when I left the farm. And now what would I do for exercise? For years, nothing on a consistent base, little baseball, little golf. Uh, but n- consistently... Not too much. Fifteen years ago, my doctor said to me, What do you do for exercise? I said, I play golf. He laughed at me. My doctor laughed at me. Golf, he said, come on. And so finally inside, I said, all right, all right, all right. So his laughter caused me to join the Y. He scorned me. Good choice, though, to join the Y. But I'm not so sure that golf should be discarded so easily. I think not. So think about what the great theologian Will Smith said and uh, see what he says about golf. Will Smith plays a supporting guardian angel type of character by the name of Bagger Vance who aids the lead character Matt Damon in the process of regaining his confidence to win a golf tournament. And do you remember his great statement? The rhythm of golf is like the rhythm of life. I love it, eh? Isn't that great? The rhythm of golf is like the rhythm of life. Golf is uh, both an exhilarating sport and a very frustrating one. People say, why do you go out and frustrate yourself with that crazy game? And we all know the answer. There are some times... 
when things just work well. And we hit the ball and it goes down the fairway 300 yards and it stays on the fairway. And we say to ourselves, wow, that felt great. And that's what keeps us coming back. Those wonderful times when you bring it all together. Golf requires two major things to come together simultaneously in order to hit the ball right. There's our golf pro. There's our new golf pro. And you see, look at that stance. Isn't that amazing? His eye is on the ball. He's got the right grip. He's, he's got it. His stance is just perfect. And he is going to swing that ball with tremendous rhythm. Oh, look at there he goes. And that's a picture of life, Pastor Ed. Life is learning to do the right thing at the right time and with the right tempo in rhythm with how God has created us. And you know, it's a rhythm that seems a little bit more appropriate to the agrarian society. Growing up on the farm, that's kind of, it kind of fit a little bit more. But now as the patterns of life change and we primarily are an urban society, we have to learn this rhythm all over again and become very intentional about it. Most of us, uh, when we step up to the tee box, feel like we have to swing for all we're worth. You know, if we're really going to hit it, then let's get in there and let's hit it and let's just swing hard. But nothing could be further from the truth. The downward swing of the club must be slow and in tempo with the rest of your body. And when this happens, the ball goes easily down the fairway. Dr. Archibald Hart is a Christian psychologist, a wonderful friend of pastors and Christian leaders. Listen to his comment. Humans were designed for camel travel. Humans were designed for camel travel. But most people are now acting like supersonic jets. In a nutshell, most of us are living at too fast a pace. The pace of modern life is stretching all of us beyond our limits. And we are paying for this abuse in the hard and painful currency of stress and anxiety, plain and simple. Somehow we have gotten the notion that if we go faster, we'll be happier. I'm not sure how that ever came to be. But something has happened to cause everybody to speed up a little bit. You know, the same feeling you get when the golf marshal pulls up alongside of you and says, hurry up, hurry up, people are behind you, they're waiting for you. And you try to swing with a rhythm and the proper pace and tempo when somebody's saying, hurry up, hurry up. It's hard to catch the proper rhythm. I'm embarrassed to tell you this, that in the early years of our ministry, I repeated the slogan of that day, I would sooner burn out for Jesus than rust out. I would sooner burn out for Jesus than rust out. How out of rhythm could I be? I soon found out that is not his rhythm. That does not come from God. That's kind of a secular position. The implication was that you should go as hard as you possibly can because it's indicative of bringing your best, giving your all, and leaving it all on the field. So you burn out. No. Are you watching any of the NHL Stanley Cup series these days? Aren't they great? Yay, Montreal, except for yesterday. 
I don't know what happened to their wheels yesterday, but they really did come off. But my, these games have been interesting, and the pace has been fast. But you know what? They couldn't play this kind of hockey every game of the year. They, they have stepped it up to notch in the, in the, in the, in the playoffs. Uh, they are exhausted, these guys. But it's not sustainable. They couldn't play with that emotional fervor, that physical intensity all year long. They, w- they have to find a tempo that is sustainable for the whole year. So let's talk about rhythm. Let's talk about rhythm. God has given us an approach to life that is sustainable. I never read anywhere in the scripture that God wants us to, to burn out. This is what I read. Tennille read it for us. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Or from the message, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Doesn't he say that well, Eugene Peterson? Learn the unforced rhythms of life. So let's talk a little bit about understanding the soul. Understanding the soul. Many of you have uh, been following the tragedy that happened on Mount Everest at the end of April, a terrible avalanche that claimed the lives of 16 Sherpas. A group of about 50 people, mostly Nepali Sherpas, were hit by the avalanche at more than 20,000 feet above base camp in the Kumba Icefall. And the BBC commented, Sherpas, an ethnic group from Nepal's Himalayan region, famed for their climbing prowess, aren't officially stopping anyone from attempting the risky journey, though hundreds involved in the lucrative Everest trekking industry have refused to climb. So some of the Sherpas now are not climbing because of the danger. Others believe that the gods are angry at them. Some are protesting low wages for the very dangerous uh, expeditions. So they're just stopping, and as a result, all of the expeditions are canceled. The Sherpas are an interesting group of people. Their main job in any expedition is to pace climbers up the summit. Their job is to do the pacing because they do it so well. Every once in a while, to the chagrin of Westerners, they will stop for a day or maybe two, put all of their equipment down, and tell the climbers that in their tradition, it's important to stop to rest long enough to allow their souls to catch up with their bodies. Interesting how they say it. Now, if you're a climber, you're frustrated because you have a schedule and you're paying a lot of money and then your guide tells you that he's waiting for his soul to catch up with his body. But I think we can connect with some of their thinking. We've set a pace for ourselves that adds to our broken world. It is really possible for you and I to live in such frantic ways that we are living so far out in front of ourselves, lost in the white noise of our world, 
and never giving to the soul what it needs the most. Moments of quiet and rest where we draw aside and we stop. We allow ourselves to catch up with ourselves. How does the soul thrive in our world? We uh, always uh, ensure that our body has enough oxygen. And when someone is deprived of a little oxygen and, and uh, we have health care people, we have lots of health care people in, in our congregation. I met a doctor here last week that is a lung specialist. I didn't know that. Uh, so if we have one of our people in the hospital and their oxygen count is down, what do they do? Dial up the oxygen. Give them a little bit more oxygen. But you know, the soul also needs oxygen. What the soul needs is elevated oxygen levels at times in our journey. The oxygen boost comes through moments of rest and rhythms of quiet. There is a rest for our person, for our, for our lives, when we stop to be with the one who made us. Psalm 91 verse 1, He who dwells in the shadow of the Most High will what? will rest, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. When you live near to the heart of God, when you find him to be your shelter, you find a sense of rest. You find rhythm in your life. And the soul needs a rhythm. The soul doesn't do well when it's pushed and shoved and rushed and is missing the oxygen that revitalizes. And you notice I'm using the word soul. I could use the word person, but it's good to be reminded of who we are and how God has made us. You are not just a self with a body. You are a soul. God formed man out of dirt from the ground and blew into his nostrils the breath of life and the man came alive a living soul, Genesis 2-7 from the message. Or from the King James Version, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We were created by God. We were created to need God. Without him we are not satisfied. This is the nature of who we are, in need of the one who made us, Without him, we are incomplete. The psalmist says, For he has satisfied the thirsty soul and the hungry soul. He has filled with us with what is good. Psalm 107. We don't use the word soul as much these days as perhaps we used to in generations past. We substitute words like uh, living being. Or we substitute the word person in an attempt to be a little more contemporary with our world. But it all stems from the word soul. It's not an outdated concept. We haven't come to the conclusion that there's no such thing as a soul. There is. And it's hard to describe the soul, isn't it? I mean, what would you say if you had to describe the soul? It would be nice to be able to turn to a passage in the Bible and have a detailed explanation of what the soul is. But we have to look at a lot of passages in the Scripture and gather together our understanding. But I think when we do that, we see that the soul 
is the deepest and the most vital part of the person as a whole. Amidst all that we are, heart and mind and body, the soul encompasses the real us, the real person. Your soul is the deepest thing about you. And if you don't recognize it or you don't acknowledge it and you don't care for it, you will journey through this life and miss the very essence of the journey if you miss the soul. The soul is the most vital of all, the real person who we really are before God. I think it's something that we think a lot about when we stand around a loved one's bed and that loved one is passing away, that loved one is going home. And we're saying our goodbyes and we know that we only have an hour left. And we begin to think about that person's body. And we begin to think, you know, that's not the real John. That's not the real Emma. That's their body. But that's not the real essence of who they are. There's more to it than that. Jesus put it so clearly. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or the New Living Translation. And who do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? I know maybe we can interpret that as gain the whole world and end up in hell. I think that's the way it gets translated. But maybe it also means gain the whole world and lose our personhood. Lose our very reason for being. Lose the integrity of our existence. Lose what it was all about to have 50, 60, 70, 80 years on the planet. It's always a bit confusing how we separate the parts of who we are, our personhood. I mean, it's much easier to look at our bodies and say, well, this is head, this is chest, these are arms, this is hand, these are fingers, these are legs, these are toes. And those parts are easily identifiable. But that's just our body. That's not all that we are. We have a mind. We have a will or a spirit. We have a soul along with having a body. And we kind of get confused about the different parts of our personhood. I mean, who am I? Who is the real me? How do you put your finger on that? I, I did resonate with uh, Dallas Willard, the uh, gentleman who passed away recently, theologian, scholar, philosopher, professor, a wonderful servant of God. And yes, I would say, most of all, a person who had learned to live in the rhythm of God's life in him. Amazing man. And he wrote extensively. And he made such a difference with his life. I trust his comments. What I'm coming to understand is it's important for all the parts of the personhood to be healthy. If they're all healthy, we have a healthy, refreshed, satisfied, rightly rhythmed soul. I hope that makes some sense or will. Dallas Willard understands the parts of the human being to be, first of all, will or spirit or heart. He'd call them, use all those different words for the same. And then the mind and then the body and then the soul. 
Let me just touch on them for a moment. I won't overly irrigate this so that we don't get lost in all of the detail. But first of all, the will or the heart or the spirit uh, is our likeness to God, that we were created in his image, the spirit. It's the center or core of the human being. It connects with him. God put a spirit within us. It's in his image that we've been created. You can call it will. It's the ability to, to be like his character in these areas or choose not to be. It's the capacity to choose, to say yes, or you can say no. It's central to your personhood. This is what makes you a person and not a thing. That's why when your will gets violated, we feel like we've been violated as a person. Uh, you, you feel a loss of dignity. You feel violated that your spirit has, has been tramped, tramped upon who God made you to be. Secondly, the mind. In the ancient world, the mind referred both to a person's thoughts and their feelings. Not just thoughts, as we might tend to want to think, but also feelings. And of course, we live out of the thoughts and the feelings of our minds. Every day, thoughts and feelings, even now, the thoughts and the feelings that we're experiencing in our minds. Uh, and even when we fall asleep, we get some playbacks of the things that we've been thinking about. And when I think thoughts that are false or unworthy, when I entertain desires that are in opposition to what God wants for my life, I damage my soul. Romans 8, 5, and 6 are very helpful. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Romans 8, 5, and 6. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. And then there's the body. It's the place from which we live. Dallard Willis uh, calls them our little power packs. Uh, we couldn't be us without them. Our bodies are amazing. Psalm 139 reminds us of the complexity and the intricacy of our bodies. I mean, we just speak to our body and it performs for us. Hand, touch this pulpit. And it does it. It obeys. The mind sends a signal to the body and says, do this. And it obeys. The psalmist says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. But our bodies are not the whole story. They are subject to injury. They are subject to loss of strength. And eventually all of our bodies can go no further. They tire out. The body is your little kingdom. If you had a will and a mind, but you didn't have a body your existence would be very much different. So the body is tremendously important. My body is also full of all kinds of appetites and all kinds of habits. Now, God intended for my body to serve my mind and my spirit. But because of sin, everything has gone wrong. And instead of my body obeying my will or my intentions, my will gets enslaved to my body. So, for example, addictions. Addictions 
is when the will has become enslaved to the appetites of the body. Then finally, the soul. Will, Willard comments that the soul is the capacity to integrate all of the parts into a single whole life. It's something like a program that runs a computer. You usually don't notice it unless it messes up. The soul is the deepest part of you, and it's the whole person. The word soul in both the Old Testament, the New Testament, and elsewhere in the ancient world is simply a synonym for the person. Even in our day, it's interesting how the language reflects soul. On an airplane or ship records, uh, you'll often come across how many souls were on board. Most people have no idea where that comes from, but it's in the, from the ancient world. For example, Acts 27, verse 37, Paul is on a ship, and Luke says, altogether there were 276 souls on board. Uh, the value of talking about the soul is the fact that, that we're talking about all the parts of the person. The choice to enter into God's wisdom, then, is an understanding of how God has put us together. And so the rhythm includes the spirit and the mind and the body. And all of these are important. And the soul grows unhealthy when any one of the parts begin to suffer. It impacts the whole person. Through the years, I, I have uh, used the illustration of a chair with four legs to remind us that we're not just physical, but we're also emotional, we're spiritual, we're social. And when any one of the legs gets damaged, then the, 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 uh, the chair is not able to support the weight of the person. The soul reminds us that we're God's creation. The body, our, the spirit, the mind, and the soul. Um, it's not uh, strange for any of us these days uh, to hear that the way to move forward in life is to pay attention to yourself. You've heard that. Sounds pretty good. Take care of yourself. I mean, what could be wrong with that? Believe in yourself. You have to stand up for yourself. If you're struggling to find meaning in your life, you need to fulfill yourself. If you're anxious, you need to figure out ways to relax yourself. And you could make an argument for some of that, which I've just said, that that's true. But often it's all about trying to improve ourselves. But self carries a different sense than soul. To focus on the soul is to see how I'm connected with God, how much God wants to be involved in my life, and how he has made me. He's made me body, mind, spirit, and soul. He restores my soul. This morning we read from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Or from the New International Version, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. I mean, I think it would be interesting to look at that passage in Psalm 23 from the perspective of rest for our bodies and from the perspective of rest for our souls, giving our, our minds and our spirits a break as well. But out of all of it, he restores my soul. 
It's, it's the sense that I was feeling the need for a boost in my soul. I was getting depleted. And when I rest, I move into God's rhythm and I'm refreshed and restored. Well, I, I know I've gone off into a lot of little details here. But how will any of this help me tomorrow? As I get up and go off to work, or maybe today, tomorrow you don't have to work, and that would be wonderful. I trust that we might be reminded of the bigger picture of life. That it's not all about performance. Go, 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 go. The bell rings, we got to go. But it's a call to re-examine our lives, where we live, what we think, what we set as goals for our lives. We tend to pay more attention to our finances and our bodies and our achievements and our targets than our actual souls. And it doesn't mean to refuse to pay attention to our investments and our vehicles and the yard that needs some attention these days and all the practical things of life that are so important. Perhaps the question is not, how can I be more successful? The question is, do I understand that there is something about living this short life that is infinitely much more important than performance and trying to get ahead of the pack on the planet? More importantly is that God loves me, God has a plan and a purpose as I journey in the years that he gives me on this planet. And he invites me to maximize my life with him by simply entering into his rhythm. And not go so fast, but to slow down. Not to be so hurried, but to be more unhurried. You may recognize the name of Horatio Spafford. Uh, he lived in Chicago. He was a lawyer. He lost everything in the great Chicago fire of 1871. He made great investments in real estate. And when the great fire of Chicago came along, it wiped him out financially. It destroyed his home. He had no insurance. He lost his money. Soon after, he lost his son to scarlet fever. And then he put his wife and their four remaining daughters on a boat to go back home to England. And he had to stay behind for business. And there was a shipwreck. And his wife ended up sending him a telegram with those famous words that have gone down in history. Saved alone, what shall I do? All four of their daughters were lost. He gets on a ship, and when he gets to, to about the same place in the ocean where his daughters were all drowned, he writes these words. When peace like a river attends my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Would you stand and bow with me, please? Let's bow together. This is a, a, a soul moment, perhaps, for God and for you. Where does your soul need to be healed? From sin? From some regret? 
from a loss in your life that is too deep for words. I remind us again today that Jesus is still in the soul healing business. Let him speak to your soul right now. Lord, come and be my healer today. Come and refresh my soul. I've been rushing. I've been out of rhythm. I've been more aware of my body and achievement and things than you. So Lord, come and refresh me. Come and give me insight into how to live in your rhythm, learning the unforced rhythms of grace that you invite me into. Help me to be able to live freely and lightly. Help me to be able to say it's well with my soul.